0: You're listening to the Tepis Paranormal Talking Point Podcast, a show that discusses various aspects of the paranormal world, with paranormal news, ghost stories, interviews, and much more. And without further ado, let's get into some talking points. Hi guys, Scott here from Tepis Paranormal and welcome back to another episode of the Tepis Paranormal Talking Point Podcast. So today I'm joined by Calvin Von Crush, who is also known as the Occult Collector. Calvin has a massive collection of pieces related to the occult and the paranormal. Calvin joined me for this interview and I got to talk to him about a number of pieces in his collection including Ouija Boards, Spirit Writing Apparatus, as well as his Freak Animal collection. We also spoke about the Talking Board Historical Society, of which Calvin is one of the directors, so I hope you enjoy this interview and enjoy learning more about Calvin's collection. Thanks for joining me Calvin.
1: Thank you for having me, man. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: So, obviously, you're a non-believing skeptic. Absolutely. Um, Have you always been that way? Has that always been your view on sort of the occult, the paranormal, etc.?
1: No, believe it or not, I grew up a good Catholic boy. Uh, I believed in, um, you know, God and ghosts and demons and angels and all of that growing up. My family always had ghost stories that captivated me. A lot of them were involving Ouija boards and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why I got into collecting things related to occult and paranormal history is because I wanted to open my home up to the energies that these items allegedly have so I could experience the paranormal so the deeper I got into collecting and the more I work with people in the paranormal field, the less and less I believe.
0: Okay. Um, what would you say, I think you sort of touched on that. What would you say are your sort of earliest memories of the paranormal? Um, uh,
1: ghost stories, you know, family ghost stories. Absolutely. Um, you know, we have stories in my family, uh, about, um, demons crawling on the ceiling visiting my grandmother for being a, a bad little girl you know uh, her mother wished that she would see something called the mamone um, so I remember being terrified of seeing a demon crawling on my ceiling when I was a little kid when I was misbehaving um, you know uh, Ouija board stories uh, absolutely Ouija board stories terrified me and And Ouija board stories are everybody's like gateway into the paranormal, you know, tarot cards, Ouija boards, pendulums, things like that, Um, because uh, they're so readily accessible. You can get them at Walmart. Walmart has Ouija boards. So that's how people usually dip their toe right in the water with the paranormal.
0: Cool. So, again, I think you've said a few different sort of places I've seen online that you consider your collection to sort of be a scientific experiment. Um, Yeah. So do you want to touch on that a little bit? So, you know, we've already talked about how uh, so many people in the paranormal
1: field say you shouldn't uh, even play with Ouija boards. You shouldn't have them in your house. Uh, Here I am with over 100 different boards in my house, uh, some from the early 1800s, boards that very well should have a dark history or a story to them boards that have been used before where a portal very well could have been open you know that's that's what all the experts say um you can see behind me this is a skeleton that's allegedly a murder victim um how many people have you heard say that uh murders uh leave a psychic imprint on um a building and that can cause a spirit to remain um you know i have items that are cursed i have items that are allegedly haunted and nothing has ever gone bump in the night here that has convinced me of anything otherworldly
0: cool. so obviously you're saying nothing's happened with your collection is that at all or have there been like little things things maybe moving etc or is it literally you know nothing
1: Um, You know, so there's uh, every once in a while, there'll be something that can be attributed to confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Now, confirmation bias for anybody who doesn't know what that at home is. It's when your uh, brain gets information stimulus and it compares it to something else that has happened or some other form of information that you've received. Uh, A lot of times that happens to deal with divination and fortune telling. Um, somebody will give you a bit of information and you'll take that information and apply it to an event that will happen later or something that's already happening in your life. So um, here's a, for instance, um, I've stood in my house and underneath the lights giving a tour for the uh, collection. And I've said, yeah, nothing ever happens down here. And then the lights will dim. And uh, that is purely coincidental. And it's because the guy who installed my lights was an alcoholic. So (laughs) But little things like that do happen every once in a while and if i was um a believer um i could contribute things like that to uh the paranormal instead of being rational and saying oh it's it's because the guy who put things together didn't put them together a hundred percent
0: yeah of course that that does make sense i mean i've spoken to a few psychics and like you say it is sort of a some of the things you hear from them are very much I guess they're quite broad they cover a lot of you know different they could be interpreted in a lot of different ways um so it's like one blanket statement that could take six or seven different events right. and be cons- obviously be considered as part of that
1: now now that's not saying that some psychics are better at it than others mm-hmm. i've met some psychics who are absolutely fantastic at what they do um, I get psychic and fortune-telling readings all the time. I, I love it. I think it's very entertaining. But um, I don't really hold any weight in in their words or their methods.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, obviously, you're not the kind of sceptic that immediately shuts people down. Um, no. You're obviously a lot more sort of genuinely interested in people's stories and wanting to learn more about their views and their opinions.
1: Yeah, um, you know, if you want to catch a fish, you got to go to the ocean. Um, if if you're just a skeptic who's sitting there pounding the keyboard and, and, and talking trash on your phone, um, telling people that they're not having these experiences, then you're doing yourself a huge disservice. If you really want to test the waters and see if Bigfoot's real, you've got to go to the forest. If you want to see if a house is possessed by demons, you've got to go to that house, you know? And um, I have gotten up off my couch and done some of these things and everything has let me down thus far.
0: Cool. So would you say you want to experience um, activity?
1: Yeah. So um, being a non-believing atheist skeptic, uh, when my light switch goes out, i don't get an afterlife and to me that is actually very terrifying you know um i would love the persistence of consciousness i would love to to be able to uh, continue feeling and um thinking and existing for all of eternity but in my heart of hearts i just don't feel that happens i i think uh i'm worm food when i'm gone so for me having an inkling of an existing uh, afterworld or an afterlife um, is very thrilling to me. So I would like to see a ghost. I would like to see a demon. I would like to see something that lets me know that there's something greater than what we have right now.
0: Cool. Um, So obviously you're known as the occult collector uh, due to your collection. I sort of, I went through and i've written down a few sort of items from your collection Mm -hmm. Uh, and i sort of just want to you know ask you about a few of them and maybe just see if you want to talk about them a little bit and obviously i assume you quite enjoy talking about your collection
1: i do i do so yeah ask away, whatever you got
0: so obviously you previously spoke about the skeleton of the murder victim behind you i believe that's monique
1: yeah her name so um the reason why we call monique monique is because she came with a tag on her arm, and it appears to be signed by some previous physicians. And um, it gives information saying that she was previously murdered um, in Paris around the 1920s. And I believe that because she couldn't afford a proper burial, they may have donated her body to science and prepared her as part of a um, like a final project for the doctors. Uh, they articulated her skeleton. Now, I've had people argue with me that it's not even a female skeleton; that it's actually a male. Um, and I've had other people tell me that it is a female. So it's sometimes people just like poo-pooing on what you have because they don't like the validity of it and they don't like the story. And, um, and don't get me wrong; I'm a skeptic, so I fully approve their skepticism. Yeah. Uh, but for the time being, uh, she's still Monique, and um, we're patiently waiting for her to give us a sign that she's with us.
0: I mean, it is a very cool-looking item, obviously, if nothing else. And obviously, I guess from your skeptical point of view, that's why you have it. it, is just because it's cool to... Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of Ouija boards in your collection. I do. Um, where would you say your interest in Ouija boards started you know, obviously you've talked about family stories from Ouija boards. Um, Where would you say your collection of Ouija boards began?
1: I got my first Ouija board probably back in, I want to say, 1992, maybe somewhere between 1992 and 1996. I got it for Christmas. I asked for it. I really wanted one. And uh, I got to tell you, I never really got one to work for me. Um, it, I just don't really have that full belief to commit. Um, Now let's talk about Ouija boards a little bit. Now, one of the reasons why Ouija boards have been so popular since the 1800s is because Ouija boards really do seemingly move on their own. There is a process, uh, it's a psychological process called the ideomotor effect or the ideomotor response that um, your subconsciousness produces movement in your your body uh, because your body likes remaining in motion and it produces an effect. your hands will seemingly move on their own, but they're not guided by spirit. It's your own body and your own consciousness producing this movement. Um, and I think the more you believe, the more you're committed to that action, the more it happens. And for me, it's never ever really worked.
0: And it is, like you say, you the person doing it doesn't even necessarily know that they're, you know, that Correct. they're moving it. They genuinely believe uh, something is moving the yes. Ouija board.
1: Yeah, pendulums, dowsing rods, light as a feather, stiff as a board, and Ouija boards all work by the same process.
0: Okay. So in your collection, obviously, you've got a few sort of standouts, I would say. Uh, Yeah. One of the ones, if you want to talk about a few of your sort of favorites.
1: Yeah. Um, I have one called The Beast, uh, which is pretty gigantic. Uh, I want to say it's just about two and a half, maybe three feet wide. And um, it's got these deep grooves in it. Because the planchette is actually built on top of six tall screws. Um, It doesn't have traditional, like, wooden peg feet. Mm -hmm. And I believe the gentleman used it, or lady, uh, whoever used it first. It just, uh, to me, looks very masculinely made. It doesn't look like it had any sort of elegance to it. Um, Used it kind of like a dial, like a clock. I don't think he slid it back and forth to each letter. I think he just moved it back and forth because there's lines extending from each letter so um almost like a dial plate uh which is a different form of spirit communication device which i can actually show you i can grab one i've got one in real yeah. close. so this would be a dial plate for you folks at home and see how this spins and this moves in the same process that a ouija board moves mm-hmm. the so uh whoever has their hands on it, it it would start moving on its own um if you've ever heard of table tipping or anything like that it's the same thing um, and that's why all these things are popular in the paranormal field, because they really do work. Um, they will give you a paranormal experience. And um, unless you know the the secret of how it works, um, you're you're going to be kind of duped a little bit. And I really think that a lot of people in the paranormal field are doing people a disservice by not doing that little bit of research and finding out the, the real facts behind it and just saying uh, they're dangerous to play with
0: yeah so like you say, i think the danger to play with them obviously is one of the uh, sort of more famous things about a ouija board yeah i think Monopoly's more dangerous i think people have more fights
1: over monopoly than they have over ouija boards you know
0: yeah <laughs> um, so also in your ouija board collection uh you've got an artist sort of uh is it an artist's palette sort i of do. board.
1: Um, That was one of my white whales. I chased that one for a very long time. All right. So yes, this is one of my prized possessions. If anyone can see that, I'll lean back a little bit. Now you can't really make out what's on it, but this actually has uh, letters and numbers written on it in pencil. Um, This painter's palette is actually a Ouija board. It was created by an artist in Lilydale named Glenn Renner-Smith. Now, the reason why Lilydale is important is because Lilydale is known as the town that talks to the dead, okay? It's a small village in upstate New York, and everybody who lives there happens to be a psychic medium of some sort or another. There's psychic artists, there's um, trance mediums, there's tarot card readers, there's all kinds of people who live there. Who believe they can commune with the other side and something greater and glenn renner smith was no different uh, i believe he uh, might have been a reverend uh, but he was also a sign painter who painted all the signs for the psychic mediums who were who lived there and he just happened to have a painter's palette laying around that he turned into a ouija board um, and he probably made this in the 30s or 40s and um, i originally saw it pop up on an auction site and they were asking an exorbitant amount of money And it was just a price that I never would have paid for a board and ended up vanishing. And I found it years later on another collector's website. So I chased it down and uh, I begged this guy for years to sell it to me and finally he let it go. And I I had to drive down to Washington, D.C. I drove six hours one way uh, to pick it up and then six hours one way to get it back uh, home. So I drove 12 hours in one day to pick it up because it was one of my white whales. But uh, I, I love this thing. It's it's definitely uh, never going to get sold. It's going to probably mm. get buried.
0: It is, yeah. Like you said, it's a very cool item. It's one of the sort yeah. of purely the uniqueness of it, I guess, makes it yeah. a lot more stand out than some of the other sort of more generic boards.
1: Yeah, everything's usually so square. Um, let me see if I can grab another weird one from the collection and show you guys. Okay. Oh, I got one. From my hometown. I can actually show you. So, uh, this board was actually one of the uh, few spirit communication devices to be made in Connecticut. Um, and I'll show you this a little bit better. And this was made in the town that I live in right now, in Meriden, Connecticut. Um, just uh, a couple miles down the road, um, I've been to the area where the factory was, and it's actually apartment buildings now. Um, but uh, this board was made, I think. I want to say in the 20s. I'd have to double check that, but I think it was made in the 20s or so. And um, the cool thing about this is the planchette actually doubles as an uh, automatic writing device. You can okay. put a pencil in the hole. Um, and if you notice, this is one of the best outlaid Ouija boards because it's in a frame and the planchette can't go off the board. Like a lot of traditional ouija boards the goodbye is down at the bottom of the board and the planchette would actually have to slide off the board to hit the goodbye not this board
0: cool so yeah. um i don't know if you're familiar with the ancient ram in over in so in the united kingdom here we have a haunted um i think it was an old sort of inn, a pub no um so it's it's considered one of the most haunted buildings in England, at least.
1: everything in England's haunted.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we've got a, obviously a longer period of history. Yeah, yeah. than you guys. <laughs> um, and they so in there they've actually got their own custom Ouija board they've had made, uh, okay. and it's a big round glass board. You um, know,
1: so that's a a very funny thing that you mentioned. Um, something i've noticed is that boards that come out of the uk happen to be round and they're usually played with a glass Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's a game called ask the glass um i have two specimens in my collection that came from the uk and they're both round
0: okay yeah i wonder why that's like a you know a significant difference then in the sort of construction of ouija boards and various items
1: down to cultural preference you know and i actually think that's a very cool thing that uh the british have taken it and made it their own thing because ouija boards are an american thing um you know uh even though the planchette is called a planchette um and that was a, is a french word meaning little plank um that's a different story though how those became uh how the, the planchette itself came out before the ouija board um, Ouija boards were invented here in the Americas. Um, and for a very long time, some countries actually even outlawed them, um, where they weren't allowed to have them because they had such a negative connotation.
0: Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're a very uh, consistent thing in a lot of horror movies. And they, like you say, they usually are the, they've got that connotation of being the sort of entryway. I guess are both you know opening a gateway almost for paranormal entities and things like that, specifically in horror movies and stories, right? Which yeah, which they're not.
1: Uh, I'm I'm so glad to hear that you don't believe in that. You know, um, do you believe that spirit can communicate with you through a board or no?
0: So I'm sort of unsure. Um, I've only done one board myself it moved and i trust the people i was with but like you say with the um ideomotor effect it's one of those i don't know whether one of us was moving it subconsciously um which obviously i assume you would say we definitely were but it's one of those we don't think we were and obviously that's where the big argument on ouija boards comes in
1: so I actually got to see an experiment uh, when we had a Ouija board specific convention called OuijaCon. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was a couple of researchers from Denmark who came over and they brought with them a Ouija board with uh, registration marks on the side. You know, So it was like um, those little QR codes that you mm-hmm. scan at restaurants to get the menu. And they were situated at North, South, East and, east, and West on the board and they had glasses that you would wear when you use the Ouija board. And in every case of planchette movement, the eyes went to the letter first before the Ouija board planchette moved. So logically that tells you that the person's eyes were um, so important to the movement of that planchette that they had to be incorporated first. Um, So that leads me to believe that without that visual stimulus, if you had somebody blindfolded or somebody who was blind they wouldn't be able to get the proper responses from that Ouija board because it wouldn't be a spirit guiding their hands it's that subconscious using that stimulus
0: and i let's like say i guess that would be quite an interesting experiment to get someone that is blind visually impaired to try it and see what happens i must admit, i don't think i've seen anything like that so that would be quite yeah um, so
1: next on the board okay especially like that round one
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, have everybody take their hands off of it blindfold them and tilt the table just 25 degrees without them knowing that the table's been turned so now the letters in the alphabet have been moved and see if you can get any kind of results
0: yeah that, would, uh, that will be an interesting experiment I'll definitely do that next time we uh, go there and obviously use that board um, another board in your collection that I'm sort of interested in and I guess it's not just a board in this instance is the Mark Twain um, stuff you have Oh,
1: okay, yeah. So, I, uh, Mark Twain is a very, very um, important figure in Ouija board history, because he was allegedly channeled uh, two times that we know of, uh, where he wrote a book from beyond the grave. Um, it is, uh, I'll, I'll grab them for you okay. real quick so we. Can... All right. So, Mark Twain originally uh, allegedly uh, wrote two bo- uh, books from beyond the grave. He wrote this one called Jap Heron. And then he wrote another one called God Bless You, Daughter. Okay? Um, Now, this one is actually very cool because it is signed by the author. And she had beautiful penmanship. So um, the story of these books is that the person writing the book, um, Chap Heron, was written by, what was her name? Was it Patience Worth? Uh, I forget who wrote this one. No, Patience Worth wrote a different one. I can't remember the name of the author right now. Uh, I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, it's weird because these are both like very, like, kind of um, not in his style of writing at all. They're not fun books and he was a fun book writer. I could not get through these books because they're kind of boring to me. I I have to put them down. Um, Now, he wasn't a very religious man either. So for him to write a book called God Bless You Daughter is is very far-fetched as well now the cool thing about this book god bless you daughter is i actually have uh, a board that is very closely associated to the book it is called the nona board and this is the type of book uh, board that the book was written on
0: that is so, a very cool looking
1: yeah it's a very cool looking board and it is not a traditional ouija board um now the name is no and nah, um, uh, which is no no, okay. Ouija board was a li- allegedly yes, yes, we and ja, you know, two words put together saying yes, yes. So that's why they made this the no-no board, you know. Um now this board itself came from the next door neighbor of the author of God bless you, daughter. And now there's no sticker on this back of the board saying that it was like a resale board or anything like that there is a chance that this board may have been one of the boards used to write the book itself so this board is actually a very important board in my collection um, and it's very cherished it was actually a gift from bob merch who is the um, chairman of the board of the talking board historical society
0: so yeah that was another thing i wanted to touch on was the talking board um so obviously you are a co-founder
1: i am one of the co-founders uh, i helped co-found it uh with a bunch of other members and i think 2013 is when we got together um and we work together to um erect monuments dedicate historical places uh research the people and of course preserve uh ouija boards all of us have pretty extensive collections um, and we all work together to track them down and make sure they go to the right home. Um, it's sometimes thankless work. Sometimes it's a lot of time and effort, um, but it's very rewarding to all of us. Uh, we all care about each other a great deal. So it's kind of like a family reunion every time we get together and see each other. Um, but we've done some amazing things. Um, most uh, amazing thing that I think we've done is we put up a beautiful headstone for, uh the woman who named the Ouija board. Uh, it's in Colorado, and what is her name right now? I'm so sorry I am spacing on this. Uh, give me a second. Anyways, not important right now, but uh, we, we put up the tombstone for Elijah Bond. Um, he's in Baltimore, um, and his uh, tombstone actually looks like the original... Um, uh, Patent design of the Ouija board. Uh, It's really big online. A lot of people go and they uh, they tag it as the Ouija board headstone, so you can see it on Instagram and everything like that. Um, We're absolutely very proud of that. Uh, There's a 7-Eleven that we dedicated as a historic place (laughs) (laughs) uh, because it used to be a Ouija board factory. So you can go into the 7-Eleven and see a plaque that we had put up. Uh, It's It sounds ridiculous, but it means the world to us because if we don't care about it, who else is gonna?
0: Yeah, no, see, I think it's really cool that, like you said, you're preserving sort of that part of the occult history and, you know, Ouija board history. And especially, I think, as a skeptic yourself, obviously, that you still do that and that you still have such an interest in Ouija boards and spirit boards and that sort of thing is uh, obviously really interesting.
1: Yeah, I've had this interest since I was a child, and it's always been fascinating to me. I mean, I still watch documentaries on, you know, giants building mounds and, um, you know, the Loch Ness Monster and things like that. Like, if there's anybody in the world who wants all this stuff to be real, it's me. I, I'm not here to, you know, uh, poop in everybody's fruit Loops. You know, I don't want things to not be real. I just want the people who are out there gathering evidence to take it a little bit more seriously, research what they're doing and realize that some of the methods that they're using are bunk, you know, Um, my biggest gripe right now is the Estes method. I think the Estes method is 100 percent bunk. It's been shown that. You know, in in the past, that limiting your vision and listening to white noise could actually elicit a hallucination, like an auditory hallucination where you think you're hearing voices and stuff. And let's face it, it's it's a scanning method where you're hearing voices anyways. Um, I just think that it's um, a method that's very similar to Ouija boards where it's going to produce a paranormal effect. um, And it's not gathering any proper data. It's confirmation bias. And I think they're relying on it too much in the paranormal field right now.
0: Cool. See that interests me because I'm quite, I quite enjoy the Estes method. It's one of those things that I do fairly regularly while investigating, uh, purely because I sort of, I quite like the different sort of. It it just feels very different to other sort of meth, you know, types of investigation, different methods you can do. Um, so, I, yeah, I quite like the Estes method, but I think yeah, it's an interesting point, like you say, that it is very. Fed by what you want to hear
1: Yeah, you know, it goes back it's it's kind of a bastardization of the Gansfeld method that was used in the 60s and 70s I'm sure you've seen it on TV where people uh, put the little um, Balls over their eyes, you know the ping-pong balls and they get them taped down and then they get uh, With the red light Um, and that's even been shown to produce hallucinations Um, so when you are going into a situation where you know it's producing a hallucination, you can't use that as evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done the Estes method myself and it felt like somebody was tapping on my headphones. And I know that that's, that wasn't really happening. I know it's because of the lack of stimulus and the, the noise canceling headphones. Um, I must say that it even feels like I'm surrounded by sound. You know, it, it feels like I'm in the sound myself. It is a bit overwhelming.
0: Okay. what With the Estes method, then, what do you think about um, sort of, you know, competent conversation? You know, obviously the person who can't hear, can't see, and the person asking questions, if they actually have a coherent back and forth almost?
1: Yeah, you know, I've seen it myself. So my, my partner actually is a believer in the paranormal, and I've seen her and her friend have very cohesive conversations on the Estes method. Um, even very strong coincidences with movement and looking in certain directions. Um, But I still think that that can be boiled down to confirmation bias and and, and coincidence.
0: Okay, cool. Um, So going back to the sort of, slightly away from the Ouija boards, but still on that sort of spirit writing side, um, I believe you have a copy of The Psychic, the book that is signed by two authors. Yeah. Man, you're good. You're pulling
1: out some really good stuff in my collection that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, give me a second. I'm gonna put some stuff away and I'll be right back with okay. that book. Okay, dude. I love that you did your homework. This is this is actually one of my favorite items in my collection. Um, I got it for man, I think 30 bucks, if if that. Okay. Um, I don't think the person who sold it really valued it or understood how important this book is because this book is called The Psychic and it's signed by two totally different handwritings. Uh, One is the gentleman who wrote the book and two is his spirit guide who helped him write the book. Um, Spirit writing, uh, I have a couple examples in my collection, uh, is exceedingly rare. Um, Spirit art is pretty rare too, to have real evidence of that. So, uh, when I came across this, a buddy of mine tagged, it, tagged me on it online when it was for sale. And oh man, I, I, was, I was happier than a pig in mud when I picked this one up. So, but I'll show you guys. You can see the two totally different signatures in it. See, here's the top one. That's the uh, author, the gentleman who's the psychic. And then here, a completely different handwriting is his spirit guide named drummond How cool is that
0: yeah like you say it is they're very distinct
1: Yeah, so I mean from my point of view um I think the gentleman it could be a put on you know, he could mm-hmm. easily just sign two different ways Or you know even switch hands um, Who's to say I mean The human mind is a very, very powerful thing, and you can make yourself believe anything. Let's even look at people who are diagnosed with cancer. People who have a positive outlook can end up reversing their cancer. People who have a negative outlook, they end up dying in a couple of weeks after their their diagnosis. You know, Even placebo effects with medicine, you see people who get a placebo medicine, next thing you know, they're getting better, they're on the mend um the power of belief is so intense and i think a lot of people overlook that in the paranormal now being a skeptic i totally respect somebody's point of view when they say they are scared because their house is haunted i understand that those emotions are very very real and you won't find me demeaning them in any way you know um Uh, I I suffer from anxiety in some situations. I understand that anxiety is a real crippling thing that can affect you. Um, So if this gentleman really did believe that he was psychic and he had a spirit guide, who's to say that his handwriting didn't change when he went into some kind of meditative state and let this being take over? You know, Uh, fascinating.
0: Um, so another thing in your collection that I want to talk about and to be honest I can't actually remember the details of it is the painting on the wall behind you
1: um okay so are you talking about this one right here yes yeah okay fantastic uh question now if anyone is familiar with Robert the doll yes okay Robert the Doll is like the original Annabelle. Um, He is housed, I believe, in the Florida Keys, in the Florida Keys Historical Society Museum. And the story behind Robert the Doll is that he was given to a young boy named Robert who named the doll after himself. Okay. Um, That doll was blamed for any kind of mischief that the little boy happened to uh, produce in his life. Okay. Um, They said that the doll was haunted. And um, I guess it ended up being cast aside as he got older. But even in his older age, anytime something bad happened in his life, he would still blame the doll. He would say, it wasn't me, it was Robert. Now, he actually grew up to be a very accomplished painter. His name was Robert Gene Otto, and he painted scenes of the Florida Keys. And this is actually a picture of some of the crumbling ruins from the Florida Keys, um, I just got really lucky and stumbled across it, and I recognized the name, and I picked it up for, for relatively cheap, and now it's hanging in my uh, collection. And I have a little replica of Robert the doll close by.
0: I'm sorry, I do quite like Robert the doll. I think more so than Annabelle to some extent, because I think it's I think Robert's less popular and therefore has been less almost bastardized by Hollywood.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, the cool thing about Robert the doll is that his um, negative energy still persists to this day and that people take pictures of him without asking permission. And the, the museum gets, you know, thousands of letters a year of people asking Robert for forgiveness for taking his pictures without asking permission because they believe that bad luck has followed them because of this action
0: yeah it's it's an interesting story i think and the association with that i do quite like same um so ed and lorraine warren obviously you have a some items of ed warren's i believe uh glasses
1: and a a tie i even have ed warren's socks i have a pair of ed warren's socks in my collection um i have one of his ties that he wore at his lectures Um, but most importantly um, two of my prized possessions I have a sign that hung in his museum that said Ed Warren demonologist and I have the last painting he ever painted before um, uh, he had a heart condition I don't know if he had a stroke or not Um, I'm not sure I can't remember um, but yeah he uh, he definitely painted his last painting and I have it so it's a beautiful Halloween scene of a haunted house and I think that's the most fitting thing to own from ed warren is a haunted house painting
0: yeah definitely as a skeptic what are your views on the warren's you know case history almost you know it's really hard to say um because
1: i never really got to interact with any of them i got to meet lorraine once Um, and you know, people who are higher up in the paranormal community, I feel like they kind of keep everybody else at an arm's length away, uh, especially skeptics. Um, nobody wants to be told what they're doing is wrong or challenged. I feel a lot in the paranormal. Um, you know what? I, I must say less in the UK. Um, than here in the United States. I feel um, just the culture of paranormal belief in the UK, you guys are a lot more open to hanging out with a skeptic um, that you know, you guys will have a beer with me and, and sit and talk all day while uh, I get a little less traction here in the States. Um, I don't know if that's just because people in the States are naturally stubborn or what, but um, I think I'm a fun time, man. I want to come out and uh, hang out and see some ghosts too. Um, I, I never met the Warrens, so it's hard for me to say, and, um, I must say, um, there's such a strong following with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, even if I did have a strong opinion on them, if I voiced it, I could be shooting myself in the foot, yeah. you know, They'd be coming for me. Um, and that's why I kind of have to take a neutral stance on a lot of things with the paranormal, because I do want to be invited to the birthday party. I want to come out and see the ghosts. And if I dig my heels in on anything, No one's going to want to play with me on the
0: the playground so that makes sense i mean obviously as a skeptic i guess you have that sort of almost an outsider's view in but i guess as well you're viewed from the inside of the community as an outsider and it's sort of you're on that edge where i guess skeptics aren't usually invited or included in a lot of the sort of paranormal conferences because i guess they tend to be more you know believers and that sort of thing. So I guess it must be quite interesting from your perspective to view that from an outside eye.
1: Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm actually coming back to the UK uh, next year. I'll be um, uh, working with MJ Dixon again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love working in the UK. Uh, like I said, you guys will sit down and have a beer with me, and we will talk about UFOs and Alistair Crawley and all kinds of fun stuff all day, every day and um i do work uh quite a few conventions here in the states too but um i just find that people are a little bit more standoffish
0: yeah um yeah so that's obviously i think you're over here for sage PowerCon. i can't remember the right. number
1: yeah i i don't know what number either but uh it is october of 2023 um i believe it's the weekend right before halloween Uh, and I will be there for my
0: honeymoon. We're going to be going over to uh,
1: Ireland for Halloween right after we're done with the Paracon.
0: Um, So, obviously, other than the Warrens, and the only other sort of item I've got here before I move on to another topic I want to talk about is the wallpaper from the Baltimore Gypsy Murder House.
1: Uh, Yes, I I don't have it down in the museum. Mm -hmm. It's actually hanging up in my stairwell um, because I kind of have like a gallery wall in my stairwell. But I do have a piece of uh, wallpaper from the Baltimore Gypsy Murder House. Now, the reason why this is really important to me is because uh, this is a case where a fortune teller uh, gave a gentleman uh, advice and he didn't like it. Um, I believe he felt like it, it brought bad luck into his life and he came back and murdered the woman who uh, did it he decapitated her and um, in her front hallway and the house was going to be demolished. So naturally uh, me and one of my best friends, we found that the door was open and we went inside and we took some wallpaper and I framed it up in a beautiful little frame, and now it's hanging up in my hallway. So I have a swatch of uh, paper from the very hallway where she was decapitated.
0: <laughs> it is, like you say, that's it's a piece of history, if nothing else, and it is quite, obviously it's quite morbid and quite dark, but it's also really cool to have that piece of history.
1: Yeah, anytime I go to a um, abandoned haunted place, Um, And usually it's places that I have permission to go into. Um, I try to take a piece of wallpaper or some kind of fabric or something with a pattern on it. Because I think things that have an innocent pattern um, when framed and hung on the wall, um, unless you know the story behind it, the dark history, um, you know, it'll suddenly take those you know vertical stripes and flowers and turn it into something so morbid um i really like that duality of it
0: cool so that's the sort of spirit side of um your collection
1: and you know what's funny uh my brain just popped in that lady's name that i forgot her name is helen peter's Noseworthy. i told you it was going to happen that's
0: uh, <laughs> how my brain works cool so <laughs> so moving on from that i want to talk a little bit about cryptids and cryptozoology
1: yeah absolutely
0: because obviously the other Uh, sort of the other side of your collection is um i can't think of the word now stuffed and uh
1: taxidermy that's the one yeah
0: obviously you've got a large taxidermy collection of freakish and abnormal um creatures
1: so um you know, I think real items connected to cryptozoology are very hard to come by. I do have some um, allegedly authentic Bigfoot prints. Um, I do have um, a piece of the silver bridge that Mothman allegedly collapsed. Um, I do have some alleged Bigfoot hair. I have some soil samples from uh, the creek where the Bigfoot footage was uh, filmed at. But I do collect animals that were born with severe abnormalities. Now, the reason why these are important to my collection, especially the branch of cryptozoology, is because it demonstrates that these things can naturally happen in the wild, as well as captivity. Um, I mean, I even have a, a cyclops alligator, you know. Could you imagine, like, stumbling across an alligator with one eye in the wild, like, Now, chances are uh, a full grown alligator with one eye, you know, living to maturity um, is very, very, very rare. But, um, you know, I think that leaves room for um, a a large uh, primate out in the wild and things like that, Uh, you know, it. Cryptozoology, to me, is the most fascinating field. Um, Well, maybe UFOs now, UFOlogy, because of everything that's going on with the government releasing uh, information on UAPs. But, um, you know, UFOlogy and cryptozoology are the most promising fields in the paranormal right now. And uh, they're both very, very fascinating. And that's why I collect freak animals. And one of the freak animals that I have is actually alive. I have a two-headed turtle named Leonard and Sheldon. I named them after characters from the Big Bang Theory uh, because they have two completely personalities. One is bigger and bossier, uh, very much like Sheldon. Um, And then the other is just tiny and has to go along for the ride like Leonard.
0: So, So, yeah, I've seen uh, footage of Leonard and Sheldon on your TikTok. Um, One question I do have for that. Do you refer to Leonard and Sheldon sort of singularly or plurally?
1: You know, I usually refer to them as the turtle or my turtle, uh, but sometimes I do say turtles. Um, It's weird. Um, I've never asked them their pronouns. I'm not even sure if they're male. Um, So (laughs) uh, they've never complained. They've never corrected me. So for the time being, I do refer to them as Leonard and Sheldon. And then sometimes they're plural and sometimes they're singular. Is yeah,
0: I believe they share so they've got two separate heads, but share everything else or the majority.
1: Have three legs, so each head has uh two front legs and one back leg, and then they have uh the lower digestive tract, uh, that they do share, but usually, um, it's just uh Sheldon who does a lot of the eating. Uh, Leonard, I think, is more of like a parasitic twin. Um, so he's kind of just absorbing nutrients through the lower digestive tract.
0: Okay. So you've said in a few things, or specifically in the uh occult collector, um, that cyclopia is your favorite abnormality.
1: Yeah. Um, there was a movie growing up, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and it was uh, had stop motion um, clay monsters uh, animated by Ray Harryhausen, who's one of my favorite artists. And in that movie, there was a um, one-eyed, one-horned monster uh, called a cyclops. And I have been obsessed with one-eyed monsters for most of my life i've got a couple tattooed on me and um there are a bunch of them in my collection i have one-eyed snakes i have one-eyed kittens i have a uh, one-eyed alligator as i mentioned earlier one-eyed pigs um a one-eyed goat i just love creatures with one big spooky eye
0: cool and speaking of eyes you've also got the lamb that's conjoined at the head i believe has three eyes
1: yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure if that's called craniopagus or not. Uh, it, it is joint at the head. Um, it has three eyes and four ears and eight legs, two tails. Um, it's I call it the spider lamb or octolam sometimes, but uh, it's definitely one of the coolest things in my collection. Um, I bought it frozen from a friend of mine who had it just sitting in his freezer for a while. And I actually have a taxidermist on speed dial who uh, puts all my frozen mounts together for me.
0: Um, Are there any sort of cryptids would you say that you are more of a believer in than others? Um,
1: You know, I'm a big fan of like early man and our evolution from apes. So if I were going to lean towards anything, I would say like a large primate of sorts, um, I mean, whether or not you want to call it Bigfoot, Yeti, Orang, Pandak, anything like that, um, I do believe that there is room um, in this modern era for there to be a large primate that we've yet to identify that could just be intelligent enough to get out of the way of being identified. I mean, the the lowland gorilla or the silverback gorilla, I don't think were uh, discovered until the 50s or so. I, I'd have to double check that fact, but... Um, look at the okapi. The okopi and, uh, wasn't uh, uh, sighted in the wild for a good long while. The coelacanth, um, you know, that's the uh, image of the cryptozoology museum because that was believed to be extinct and they found live coelacanths. So, um, you know, my favorite cryptid, um, I sadly do believe is never going to be found. Um, I do love Mothman. Um, I'm a big fan of Bugs. I'm a big fan of Mothman, just the way he looks, his big red eyes. Um, I personally believe Mothman was some kind of crane flying at their car. Um, But, man, he is the coolest looking one. Um, I'm probably going to get a Mothman tattoo one day. Um, He is my all-time favorite.
0: So Mothman is also my favorite cryptid. Um, Similarly, I'm looking at getting a Mothman tattoo at some point. Oh, come to the um,
1: state! I'll I'll give you a real good deal on that one, man. I
0: would love to do it. And yeah, like you said, I think the likelihood is it was a crane or even an owl, something large, winged. Um, but yeah, the story around Mothman and I think what Mothman's become since then, with the Mothman Festival, the museum, etc., adds a lot to the enjoyment of it. But like you said, I think Mothman is one of the less believable cryptids compared to some of the others even things like the loch ness monster i think are more predictable purely because of how little of the ocean we've discovered and you know that sort of creature still existing is i would say relatively plausible
1: i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more
0: cool so i think that brings us on to the last question i've got for you um which is where do you see yourself going in the occult field
1: um, you know, for the future that I see for myself in the occult and paranormal field, um, I would like to work more conventions. Um, I would like to have a traveling exhibit of some sort. Um, you know, the, the thing with uh, conventions, though, is they do take so much of my time. And um, I'm a professional tattoo artist. So for me to take time off of doing that, um, it's all a balance of time and money. Um, so it is very difficult. As much as I want to share my knowledge and my collection with people who are interested in that field, um, sometimes I end up losing out on money to do that. So that is uh, something that does sadden me. However, um, long-term goal is for me to open up a real brick-and-mortar museum because um, everything you're looking at right now is actually housed in my basement of my house. Um And I can't really have strangers coming in and out and going up and down my stairs and using my bathroom and petting my dog. Uh, (laughs) But um, I would love to have a standalone building where people could come from all over the world and they could learn Um, because, um, you know, I learned so much embarking in this field that helped turn my belief system. Um, And my goal isn't to dissuade people from believing in what they believe. But my goal is to educate. If anything, um, I know me giving lectures on Ouija boards help people not be afraid. And I don't like bullies. I don't like anyone being afraid of anything. And I I just don't... I want people to be able to sleep a little easier at night, knowing that the things that they think go bump in the night might not really be uh, as frightening as they think.
0: Cool. Perfect. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, I think as from your sceptical point of view, I think you're a lot more approachable and open than a lot of skeptics
1: um, you know i mentioned earlier my, my partner's a professional tarot reader she's a um she's been a um oh what's the word she's been a pagan for 15 16 years maybe her whole life i i can't remember all the details right now but um she she has such a different point of view than i do um just having conversations with her helps me realize that people's belief in the paranormal actually isn't a detriment to their lives. It actually provides so much positivity. I mean, I bet you have a great community of people that you you work with regularly that have become like family and friends, correct? Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have that if you didn't believe in the paranormal, you know? Um, People who are grieving turn to the paranormal to give them peace. You know, I see all this. I don't think that people who believe in the paranormal are stupid. And I think a lot of skeptics look at belief um, as uh, a sign of intelligence. And I've got to tell you, intelligence is a matter of the brain and belief is a matter of the heart. Um, They're two totally different things. And you can't just look at someone who believes in the paranormal and assume that they're not intelligent because some of the smartest people I know believe in ghosts. So,
0: Cool. Perfect. So yeah, I think that's where we'll end it here. If that's cool with you. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So thank you for joining me. It's been great learning a bit more about your collection, obviously talking to you about your beliefs and that sort of thing. So it's all been very interesting. And yeah, thanks for joining me.
1: Dude, thank you so much for having me. And if you ever want to have me on again in the future, just let me know. Uh, You ever come to the States, man, uh, you got a free museum tour on me and we'll talk about that Mothman tattoo. Hopefully uh, you can come out to Sage Paragon and we can talk a little bit more. Okay.
0: So I hope you enjoyed this interview. I'd like to give a big thank you to Calvin for taking time out of his schedule to talk me through some of his collection and talk to me about his paranormal beliefs. You can check out Calvin on various social media platforms at The Occult Collector. And for now that brings us to the end of this episode of the Tepper's Paranormal Talking Point Podcast. I've been Scott from Tepper's Paranormal and I'll see you in the next episode.